you holding on to the goals that this church has. Or if you're a non-Christian and you're visiting today and you're thinking, what are we talking about when we talk about living with sexual integrity? And for goodness sake, you mean they even talk about sex in church? I mean, what has God got to even say about sex? Isn't God just an ultimate killjoy whose only words are just don't do it? Whatever you're thinking, you're here and you sat here and you sang hymns like I just looked at one line. Even when I can't see, I will trust the one who speaks. Now when it comes to sexuality and sexual health, what does this mean when it comes to sex? Who am I believing? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly said, said, it's on, so let's hope. Beautiful. Okay. So, uh, God, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Well, if you're a Christian, you've heard this before. If you're a non-Christian, you may be thinking, what does this even mean? The reality is that Jesus has said that I am enough for you. And you saying about it, I will trust the one who speaks. When it comes to your sexuality, to your sexual behavior, are you willing to believe this? That's what I want to challenge you today. If that's all you get when you leave today, the challenge of even the verses that were read out to you, that is all, if you remember, that will do. Because if you are not looking to Jesus for that satisfaction when it comes to sexuality looking to what the world offers you might as well be looking to, to feed your hunger in the in the trash bins for a crumb of bread and when you're thirsty looking for a teaspoon of water in a toilet cistern that's what it means if you're looking elsewhere other than to God's word and that I hope will be our conviction today now, as sexologists, when we speak about sex, we talk about desire and falling in love and what does it mean to have sexual intimacy. So let's start with desire. Always a good place to start. What is desire? Desire is a simmering want that is driven by the hormone testosterone in your brain. Now, when you reach puberty, I'm looking at you young ones, you're kind of at that wonderful age of puberty. Don't you love that puberty thing? And, you know, at this time, your emotional brain erupts like a volcano and at that point says, you know, I think I like sex. And that's normal. Now, whatever age you are, it's a simmering want. Now, it varies. Now, there are some young people for whom this is like, whoa, sex, how soon can I get it? And in fact, for some older people here, you're like, let's get this service over, you know. Um, and for some others, whether you be young or old, it would be like, you know, if I trip over it on my way home, I might notice it. And that's okay. We all vary, but it is a wanting. Now, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let's look at our culture. I just said earlier when I was talking that we live in what is called a post-truth culture. A culture that says, look, there is no tr objective truth. 
every one of us can live as we desire. It is desires and feelings that we live in now, not truth of any kind. It's about selfish self-gratification and individualism. This is my body. It is my choice to do as I want, to behave as I want, even to change my body to be what I want, which we talked about earlier today. When it comes, this is what drives the abortion debate. I, I saw recently a picture of uh, girls with t-shirts that says, my body, my choice, and holding up a placard that says, babies are parasites. This says, it is my body, I create a baby, I have a right to get rid of it. This is the world we live in. Now, in this desire-driven world, those of us who stand here and sing, I will trust the one who speaks. What has the one who speaks got to say to us? You see, we clearly understand that as Christians, we cannot live by every desire. As people who turned away from God, Adam and Eve, they, their desires and our desires are not always in keeping with what God means as good for our lives. As it says, clearly Jesus says, if you hold on to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In a world that says there is no truth, we say we worship the truth. In a world that says follow your heart and your desires, we say we worship a God who said, and Jesus says this in Matthew 15, out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and immorality and everything else. Our hearts are not aligned. We worship the truth. We don't live by desire. My dear brothers and sisters, can you see how countercultural that makes all of us? Can you see the wonderful challenge that gives us? How exciting is that? That we have the truth in a world that doesn't even notice it. You see, this is why, especially our young people, but all of us, need to be aware of what we desire. It is so important. Jesus said, don't love the world or anything in it. Love for the Father. If you love the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and listen to this bit, the lust of the flesh, so the desires of the flesh, the kind of desires that lead us to lust outside God's good plan, which I will talk about in a minute, that that desire that goes out of what God means as good for us, the lust of the eyes, and today, I don't have the time to discuss it, but today pornography, this lust of the eye is something that very much is part of the desire of our culture, in a culture where the average age of firstborn exposure is 10 years and dropping. This is the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So it's not just sex, it's desires that go beyond that. 
So we need to think to ourselves, am I desiring that which God wishes me not to? Am I loving something that goes outside God's bounds for desire? What about falling in love? Ah, falling in love. For those of you who are in love, those of you who think you're in love, for those of you who are married, and right now, this is about now when the couples reach for each other's hand, you know that time when you felt that heart palpitating, pupil dilating, you are my life, I cannot live without you feelings. It was just a chemical called dopamine that gets sprayed all over your brain. Serotonin levels go down, the same as obsessive-compulsive behavior. (laughs) Adrenaline sends your pulse rate up. You know, the same changes happen if you take a shot of cocaine. (laughs) Love is an addiction. And my favorite is that the part of your brain associated with rational thinking is depressed. Ever looked at someone and thought, what does she see in him? She ain't seeing. Love is blind. I mean, it takes all the energy of desire and it points it towards one person and says, you, my beloved, have taken over my brain and my life and hopefully my bed as soon as possible. That is falling in love. It is the dopiest thing you will ever do in your life. It's true. Love is dopey. It makes you dopey. Aren't you glad it doesn't last for more than about a year and a half? Just long enough to get you up the aisle and married. Isn't God wonderful in what he does? But, and then, you know, you wake up and you think, oh, dopey. Yeah, well, never mind. But the point is that reality is that it is a powerful brain emotion. And we need to recognize this. In a world that says, if you are in love, then you must have sex. So the action of saying I love you is I must consummate it. It doesn't matter what the plan or the pattern or even what is good for you. In a world that says every desire must be met, whatever you desire, be it same sex, other sex or anything else you desire, the desire must be consummated because it is the ultimate source of my identity and expression and after all how can i be happy and fulfilled if i don't have sex this is a one of the biggest myths that are put out especially on our young people but even on older people if i don't have sex i am somehow incomplete what does that say of a celibate savior What does it say if we believe that lie? And I've been a doctor for 50 years, a sexologist for 45, and I've seen people die of lack of health care and medicine and water. There is not one reported case of death by lack of sex. Nobody ever died of not having sex. They die of having sex and catching something. Never of not having sex. You see... And in our world today, in a pornified culture, porn has replaced intimacy. This is the world we live in. Yes, the science clearly says desire is strong feeling. Love is a strong emotion. And culture says 
you feel it, you must consummate it by doing whatever you desire. Let's spend a few minutes thinking about what then is this plan? Does God have something to say? Did he create this? And why did he make it this way? You see, desire is from God. He created it. And therefore, he gives us a pattern and a place and to, for the expression of desire. This powerful feeling. Come with me to the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam. Ah, ladies, think of the best six-pack you ever can. You know, that was Adam. Perfect. And then God puts him to sleep, does a bit of minor surgery, and brings Eve. And oh, what a beauty she was. And he opens his eyes, the first blind date ever. And he looks at her and it's like, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. It helped he'd never seen another one. But the reality was that was love in the Garden of Eden. This was, and God goes on, the Bible tells us, they were naked and felt no shame, total vulnerability, total trust. And they, have, they were one flesh, the unity of man and woman coming together. Don't you think we worship a wonderful God who says male and female, he created them complimentary in every way and then he gave them a command and he said get out there and multiply and fill the earth he wasn't saying do mathematics he was saying have sex and he made this sex a wonderful thing you see if your parents young ones if your parents hadn't felt desire you won't be here today they wouldn't have had sex you are here because your parents felt desire and that's a gift from God. You see, we read in Psalm of Psalms, love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as a grave. Here it is. It burns like a blazing fire. Fire is good. Fire is necessary in winter to keep you warm. But in the hearth, in the house, in the fireplace, in the right place, Fire in the tinder dry bush is a bushfire and it consumes. My dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. Desire and love are God's gift. But God gives good gifts and then he lays boundaries, not because he's a killjoy, but because he is love and he wants us to have the better joy. The best joy which comes when we follow him and his boundaries, which is one man, one woman in marriage. And outside that, whether it be pornography, premarital, extramarital sex, the reality is it brings sadness. You see, when we look at God's pattern, it is for enjoyment in marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says to all you married couples here, your bodies belong to each other. And this is your takeaway for today. If you're married here as a couple, you know where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, don't put off being intimate with each other. It doesn't say necessarily intercourse, intimacy. 
you know, don't put it, unless you're doing Bible study or, you know, reading the Bible. But when you finish, jump back into bed. That's one reason to read the Bible and pray every night. And so jump back into bed so that Satan doesn't tempt you. I've given you a good thing. You're together. Now have that intimacy so that Satan doesn't come in. And in 1 Corinthians 13, you remember what I said? Love is a strong emotion. But the Bible also tells us, you know what? When the emotion passes, when you no longer palpitate every time your husband looks at you, I'm so glad I don't after 45 years of marriage. We are both retired. If I palpitate every time Vasanta, my husband looks at me, I'll be increasing my high blood pressure medication every other day. That would be most inconvenient. But the reality is, the love, falling in love is an emotion. Staying in love is an other-focused action of loving. That's 1 Corinthians 13, God's love for us and our love for each other. That loving is in action. It is not just living on our emotions. Of course, it models Christ's love for his church. But you see, good gifts come with a warning. God says, here's a good gift, here are the boundaries for use, not because I want to kill your joy, but because I want to give you the best ever joy. And so that you don't misuse it and be unhappy. And that warnings we see in Song of Songs three times. Don't awaken it. When you have sex too young, you get scarred by it. Don't go there. It goes on to say, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. For the grace of God appeared and it offers us that salvation. To say no and to live self-controlled lives. You know, we can't do it on our own. We humans are naturally inclined to follow our desires. We need God's help. And you sang about it. We need the help of God and God has promised to walk with us. You sang through the waters, through the fire. And we need to have that help and to dare to be different. We are called to not conform in a world that says there is no truth. Follow your heart. We are called to not conform but dare to challenge the world. Why? Why is this so important when we talk about sexual intimacy? It's because sexual intimacy from a brain science point of view binds you at a brain level. You see oxytocin, vasopressin, the same chemicals that bind a mother and a baby when the, when the baby is suckling at the breast. When you are sexually intimate, and I'm not just saying intercourse, intimacy, you bind. When you have an orgasmic satisfaction, it goes sky high. And what happens? You bind to the person you have sex with. My dear young people, let me tell you this. There is nothing casual about sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy is never casual. It is a binding act. It was meant to be that from creation. That is what God meant when he said, one flesh. You will be one flesh, husband and wife. And, you know, we need to think about this because the world says casual sex is the way to be. We as therapists see the results in our rooms. 
because it scars your mind. It's like you formed a super glue bond and when you tear that, it's like you've left a bit of yourself and taken a bit of that person with you. It is a grief that you feel. You see, premarital sex does lead to regret. Living together, cohabitation, we, all the statistics tell us that people live together and get married. The, the, the long-term uh, marriage results are much lower than people who decide to get married and get married. And even porn use leads to people bonding. So let's pull this together. Desire and love are strong emotions. The act of loving, the choosing what to do with your desire is a self-controlled fruit of the Spirit which we have to work on and can we do not naturally feel like doing. It is a gift from God. And if you're not a Christian here today, I would love to challenge you to think about this. Maybe you think that, oh, I've had casual sex. Maybe you think I'm watching porn and I'm fine. The reality is the long-term research effects say that we cannot go on this way without being scarred in some way. And for you who are here as Christians, may I challenge you to, yeah, to think that Lord Jesus Christ said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in God's glory with the holy angels. Think about that. What do we want? Do we want to follow the, the world that says, do what you desire, follow your heart, have the best fun for now in a post-truth, desire-driven, individualistic world? Of course you'll get the accolades of the world. Or do we dare to be different? Do we dare to say, I am not ashamed? You know, set your goals. We just talked about it. Set your goals on that higher ideal, the true joy that is promised you. Don't settle for the momentary happiness from the trash bins and the toilet cisterns. And know that if you're sitting here today feeling a little bit uncomfortable about anything we've talked about, that is God convicting you. And know that you know you can support each other. Set your goals. Support each other. Know that we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. We are all sinners, brothers and sisters. And we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Accept that beautiful forgiveness. Will it be easy? Probably not in today's world. Will we be facing persecution? Probably, yes. And we pray that we can continue to speak God's word. You know, you sang, in one of your songs you sang, you sang something like this. I don't know whether I've got it quite right, but I'll count the joy over every battle because I know that you will be there. And that's the joy we want, even in the face of being counter-cultural in the world that we live in. Okay. Well, I'll finish there just with the words that that's my email for any of you who would like to email me about anything or through my website. 
We have a couple of resources. I have a few books out there if anyone's interested. Teen Sex by the Book is for 15 plus, and we've just released our third edition on that, which has a new chapter on gender. Growing Up by the Book is for any parents with kids over um, like something like 10 to 14, and The Birds and Bees is for primary school children and parents and grandparents. For all of you who are like sitting here and dying to get home because of all the desire and stuff. You need the best sex for life, which goes from engagement to the nursing home. And for in my spare time, I do the novels, and there's two that I've done, Empire's Children, which is from the Sri Lankan tea plantations, and Snowy Summer, which is set in Sri Lanka and Jindabai. So... I will be here after church for a few minutes if anyone would like to ask any questions. Thank you.